We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, and I want you also, if you're familiar with the Bible, I also want you to find a passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, Luke is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Deuteronomy is one of the first five books we call the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, uh, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter uh, number 8 this morning. And... um, so what I want to do is, uh, I want to do something with you this morning that, uh, as a pastor, I mentioned last week, I have a pastor's heart. That's what I do. That's what I am. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not one of these guys that blow in, blow up, and blow out. Uh, I don't do that. And, uh, but I want, to, I want you to do something with me, something we began uh, to do at our church before I, I resign. And it really just helped to put us in a frame of mind to where we need to be this morning. So what I ask you to do is, I just want to ask you to be still and just close your eyes and bow your heads, and uh, I'm going to give you about a minute of silence. A minute of silence, and then I'm going to pray after that minute. And uh, I just want you right there just to say, Lord, speak to me. Just say that over again. Lord, speak to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be here with these wonderful people of Open Bible. Thank you for those that have come for the first time or maybe the second time. I appreciate them coming back and and experiencing this uh, back-to-school Sunday, Backpack Sunday. And Lord, thank you for Pastor Rydell and his precious wife and children, their family. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for being good to them as they lead uh, the ministry here. And uh, thank you for this time that we have at this moment. God, give us ears to hear. Help us to hear what you have for us today. Put us right here in this moment at this time. Lord, I know distractions are plenty. Uh, We're coming to the end of summer. So much we want to do to get done. We probably already have planned the day after this hour together. And And Lord, I pray that we would just set those distractions aside and allow us to be present right now in your word, in this place, to hear and to respond to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives today. We thank you for silence. We thank you for the times that we can just be still and hear you. And Lord, I pray that would be such a time today in this very hour. And we love you, Jesus, and thank you for loving us. Your name we pray, Amen. Uh, let me ask you: how, For how many of you was that silence painful? Was it painful? Well, let me ask you this: Was it awkward? How many? How many? Just be honest. It's okay. You can raise your hand. How many of you felt kind of awkward? A few of you. It's amazing how when we're silent before God, 
how uncomfortable that feels. Because we're always used to talking, aren't we? We're always used to activity, aren't we? We're always, we're always used to getting a word in and trying to let God know what, what we think we need instead of just being still and hearing. So today I want us to go back into the desert. We're going to journey back into the desert together today. In Luke chapter 4, I'm going to pick up uh, in Luke 4, beginning in verse 1 again. We read it last week. We'll read it again this week. And then we're going to flip over to Deuteronomy in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, let's follow along together. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Say the wilderness with me. Wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it, that it may be bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. And if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, the devil is quoting the Bible to Jesus, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, and lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. I mentioned last week uh, about uh, the Twin Towers and uh, that it took them seven years to go deep down into a foundation uh, into Manhattan. And uh, in that foundation, seven years to go deep, deep down so that they could build up, up. Well, going down seven years, it only took them three years to go up. And I mentioned last week that that illustrates for us that it takes God time in your life and my life to lay a foundation in order for Him to build something that He wants to do with your life and my life. And most of us, most of our life, God is going down and down and down, deep down in our lives to do a work of preparation before we are ever ready to do what God wants us to do in the kingdom. And so last week we introduced the desert or the wilderness as a place where God does this deep down work into our lives. Go if you would, hold your place there in Luke and go to Deuteronomy that I mentioned earlier, Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And I want you to see this morning Deuteronomy 8 in verses 14, uh, starting, starting verse 11, 
I want to read to you, I want you to read also, follow along, a description of why the desert, why the desert. God drives us to these desert places in our lives. Look at Deuteronomy 8.11. Beware, this is God speaking, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou... Uh, uh, Moses speaking for God, lest, verse 12, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Does that sound in any way familiar? When you build houses, when you get land, and when you start um, uh, getting that good job, and you start saving your 401k, and, and uh, you start saving for retirement, just know, be warned, you will forget God. It's easy. Look at verse 14. You will forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible what, church? Wilderness. It was God who led them. It was God who drove them there. Wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of, the, of Flint. What is a desert? Remember we described that. It's lonely. It's, it's, it's deserted. It's hot. It's got danger. All these things we're, des we're describing that the children of Israel in. But look at verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might do what? Humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at the what? Latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and my, uh, the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto the fathers, as it is unto us. Notice these words. Let us say, he said, we're gonna, how do we respond in life? We're trying to build houses. We're trying to build wealth. We're trying to build something. And yet God says, when you do that, you, be, you begin to live independent of God. And because of our independence, God drives us. He takes us into the desert, into the wilderness to test us so that He might make a good thing, a right or a beautiful thing out of our lives. You see, God drives us into different and diverse deserts for our good. So last week we said God is leading all of us into deserts in order to do a deep work in us so that He can do a great work through us. Now I want to test you this morning. Remember last week I talked about a test? I want to test you about my three action steps to see if you remember. Because what good is a sermon if you don't remember? Amen? Alright, so we said in the desert, the first action step we do in the desert, does anybody remember? We pay attention. Man, I am so excited. A plus. You pay attention. When you're in the desert, we pay attention to what God is doing. And not only do we pay attention, but secondly, we have to be patient. We have to wait on God. 
God, we can't get in a hurry. God is not in a hurry to get you through the desert. God is not on your timetable. God does not go by our clocks. God is not in a hurry in your life. Be patient. And then Sunday night, we said we need to trust the, trust the process. Trust the process because God has a plan and a purpose. He is working into your life. And so today, we're going we're to go back to Luke. We see why the desert to humble us, to prove us, to show us that God has good for us. And so now we're going to go into the desert with Jesus. And we're going to look specifically at these three temptations that if I had to entitle the message today, it would be simply this, embracing your limits. Embracing your limits. Today we're going to see the gift of God-given limits. Now, we live in an American culture today that tells us there are no limits. Uh, probably when you grew up as a kid, and maybe you've told your children this, and you've heard this in school, if you want to be the president of the United States, you can be the president. Somebody ever told you that as a child? Yeah? They were lying to you. We, but that's what we, that, that's American mentality. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. We live in a limitless world. You can accomplish anything you want. You can get as much wealth as you want. And we've got schemes and we've got systems and we've got all these things that convince us that we are without limits. And the truth is, that is a lie. We live in a culture that is constantly working to break limits. We try to break the speed of sound. We did that. We try to extend life expectancy. We freeze people now. Hoping to cure a disease later on in the future so we can bring them back out of frozen state. We, we, we try to uh, uh, break uh, uh, the limits of space and we, we try to break the limits of memory. I, I heard a guy this week saying, uh, talking about memory, that you can put the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and uh, I think the, the Washington Post, all, every article they've ever written on one terabyte drive of memory. Where, where does this stop? Oh, here's what they say. We're limitless. We live in a culture trying to constantly break limits, science and sports and all these things. But believe me, there are limits. There are limits. And I want you to know that, and I think what God wants us to know is, you cannot live without limits in your life. We are limited. So this morning, if I had to put my sermon today in a sentence, it would be this. God drives us into designed deserts that are meant to reveal His gift of limits and our desperate need to embrace them willingly. Let me say that again. God drives us into designed deserts that are meant to reveal His gift of limits and our desperate need to embrace them willingly. So let's jump into here. Let me give you just three things this morning, and uh, we'll go get our peanut butter and jelly sandwich and ice cream. Amen? 
It's the only reason you're here is for the ice cream. I know, I know. And, uh, and then we'll come back tonight and, and finish up tonight. Number one, limitless living is a lie of the enemy. Limitless living is a lie of the enemy. Look back at Luke chapter 4 and look at verse 2. And being 40 days tempted of the devil, in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward, what? Hungered. Jesus had limits. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be bread. Go down, if you would, at verse number 5. And when the devil taken him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, All this power I will give to thee. That's a lie. He can't do that. It's a lie that Jesus needed to do something in verse 2. Go down, if you would, uh, to verse number 9. And he brought him up to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of a temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God. What is he trying to do? Get him to doubt. You see, the devil's a liar. The devil's a deceiver. The word devil means slanderer. And if you, we use that word slanderer, but I wonder if we understand the meaning of it. It means to make false and malicious reports. Jesus said of the devil in John 8, 44, ye are, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he bowed not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Would you say this with me? The devil is a liar. You've got to remember that. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Every half-truth that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He's a liar. Jesus says everything he speaks, everything he says is the intent of lying to you. Satan does not tell you the whole truth. He's a liar. And the same enemy, the same devil is there before Jesus and he's telling Jesus, if thou be the Son of God, Go back and hold your place there and go to Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. If thou be the Son of God, if Jesus... I don't, I'm not sure you're the Son of God. And I think what's the implication is, Jesus, I don't think you believe you're the Son of God. See, this is nothing new for him. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, God said, hey, Adam and Eve, I'm putting a limit on you. Here's the limit. You can have everything in the garden but my tree. You cannot eat my tree. That is your limit. That is the boundary I'm setting up. Do not cross that limit because the day that you cross it, you're going to die. And so Satan comes along and he says to Eve, Yea, hath God said... If thou be the Son of God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yea, if God said. Eve responds with, well, God said, if we touch it, we'll surely die. Well, that wasn't the whole truth either. 
And here's what Satan said, I'm, I'm going to put it into Southern 2019. You ready? Eve, God is pulling your leg. Eve, God is holding out on you. Listen, God is the one that's lying, Eve. He's not giving you the whole truth. He knows that the day that you eat that fruit, you, you Eve and Adam, guess what? You will be God. You'll be just like him. Watch this. Eve, you will be limitless like God is limitless. Oh, I can be God? Absolutely, Eve. All you gotta do is just eat it. God knows it. God's holding. He does not have your best at heart. He is withholding good from you. He is withholding blessing from you. He is selfish. He's egotistical. He's self-centered. He knows. He knows. And he wants to hold back on you. Let me tell you, the devil's a liar. And that is the same thing he tells you in every desert you're in in your life. Every hard time, every difficult moment, every struggle in life. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really love you. He knows if you go that way, it's a whole lot better. He's a liar. He's a liar. This is the original sin. I will be God. I will ignore the limits that God has set on me. And church, listen to me. We still do the same today. We ignore the limits of our own time. We ignore the limits of our bodies. We ignore the limits of our abilities. We ignore the limits of our gifts. We ignore the limits of God's commandments. And we choose to live without limits. That is the original sin. When we choose to live life outside of God's given limits, listen to me, you and I are sinning against God. Now, I know we live in 2019, and I know your pastor well enough. We call sin what it is. But I want to tell you this morning, we have got to, as the church, we have got to get away that sin is only classified cussing, drinking, and smoking. There's more to sin in our life than that. And I'm telling you right now, if you continue to do life without living with God's limits in your life, you are sinning against God. Because that's not how God intended you to do life. Listen to James 1 verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. What am I enticed to do? To live outside of limits. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what, church? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth what? Does, not, does that not describe Eve? Does that not describe what they did? They chose. They were enticed. Come on, come after. Come outside of the limits of God. Take it. Take it upon yourself. Become your own God, Eve. And Eve did it. And she gave into the lust. And lust led her to sin. And sin, when it's finished, caused what? Death. My biggest problem and your biggest problem is a sin problem. It is the sin of giving into the temptation. It is the sin of giving into the lie of the enemy to do life 
outside of the limits that God gives us. Church, all three of these temptations in Luke 4 are a temptation to live outside of God's given limits in your life. That's what they are. Can I say this to you? And I I would be bold in saying this. Every temptation that comes before you is a temptation to live outside of God's given limits. If you're here today for the first time, or maybe you've been here many times, I want you to know today that we are sinners by birth because our parents, Adam and Eve, chose to live without limits. They chose to live independent from God. And the Bible says that their sin has passed on to me and generations after them. And is now I am born a sinner. And I try and I continue to live as a sinner living outside of God's limits. And that's not how God intended that to be. And listen, all because the devil is a liar. He's a liar. We need to know that limitless living is a lie of the enemy. How many of you would say today, yep, that's my temptation. That's my temptation to go outside and try to do life without limits. Limitless living is a lie of the enemy. Number two, not only is limitless living a lie of the enemy, but number two, Jesus embraces his limits. Jesus embraces his limits. Now, we, we go back to here, and we, we know the first, we, we're, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, if you're not, that's okay, but if you are, we, we know these temptations, probably not word for word, but we understand the idea. Satan said, Jesus, turn, turn, the, turn the stone to bread. Jesus, uh, if you'll worship me, I'll give, you, I'll give you all the kingdoms. They'll be yours. Jesus, if you'll just throw yourself off the temple and tell the angels, uh, they'll, they'll pick you up. They won't let you hurt yourself. So how does Jesus respond to this? Now, Jesus being fully God was also fully man like us and placed limits on himself because he is our example of how to live this life. In John chapter 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, meaning Jesus put on humanity. How many of you this morning are human? Raise your hand. Okay, so I want you to know this. Jesus was human just like you. He put limits on himself. Jesus, the Bible says in, in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, Jesus was sent forth, uh, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. You can write down Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Jesus came to earth with limits. Jesus being in human flesh, like us, was limited. Let me give you a few of these. Number one, he was born with human needs. He was born with human needs. He hungered. He got hungry. How many of you are hungry right now? There you go. He was hungry. He, he, he had thirst. He needed sleep. He, one day there's a storm came up, and where did the disciples found Jesus? 
He's sleeping in the boat. And by the way, I, 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 I am so thankful that in 2010 I was able to go to Israel. Uh, 2011. And because, uh, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, man, this had to be a massive boat for him to be sleeping in the back of the boat. The boat was no bigger than this platform. It's not like they had to go, you know, 15 minutes to the back of the boat. Now the storm's raging. Jesus is right there cutting some logs, snoozing away. Jesus, don't you even care? Dudes, I am tired. Dudes is in the Greek. Guys, dudes, I'm tired. Man, I've been healing and teaching all day. Trust me. Last Sunday night, I went home, and, and, uh, and, and of course, I, I'm working a job now. And, and I went home last Sunday night after we got done, and I, sat, and I got in the house and sat down. And I thought, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted. This is how your pastor is after every Sunday, just exhausted. And, and I, I get in the recliner, and I fall asleep. Why? Because I'm tired. I'm human. Jesus was human. He, he was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Hey, Jesus needed relationships. Jesus hurt like you and I hurt. He cried. He laughed. He had sadness. He had joy. He had pain. Those are the limits of humanity. Jesus limited himself to that. See, some of you, and I'm not really, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not trying to beat you up. I just, want, I just want to be honest with you. Some of these things you try to avoid. You try to avoid pain. You try to avoid suffering. You try to act like you don't need sleep. Can I tell you, you are living outside limits when you do that. Jesus limited himself to those things. Not only that... He was born with human needs, but secondly, he chose not to live beyond what the Father had for him. He chose not to live beyond what the Father had for him. John 12, 49, here's what Jesus said. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. What I should say and what I should speak. Now watch this. Here's what Jesus said. We know Jesus was fully God and fully man. But here's the limit Jesus put on himself. Jesus says, I will not of myself do anything, say anything, without the Father first telling me what to do, what to say. That's a limit. Can I, can I put that in perspective? How many of you have children? Down south we say this to our children. If you don't do what I say, I brought you into where I take you out. They have limits. They do what I say or else. Amen. They listen, that is that is that's the limit. Children obey their parents and the Lord for this is right. That's the limit. Children have limits. Jesus was a child, a son of God. And he humbled himself and put limits on himself to say, I will not act outside of what the Father tells me and says to me what I should say and what I should do. I will limit myself to being completely and totally surrendered and dependent upon whatever He says. Do you know what you and I do? 
We are all the time saying, God, you're too slow. I need to go outside of you. God, you're not working this right. I need to go outside of you. Well, Lord, I'm going to tell you what. I, and we, we have these Christianese type of sayings, such as bless your heart. Don't you know if you say bless your heart first, you can say anything you want to afterwards? We think that's good Christianity? Well, they said that to me. That does not give you the right to respond, to say whatever you want whenever you want. Well, they did this to me. That does not give you the right to go outside of God's limits, to do whatever you want. Well, my husband, he's a man, I understand. But that does not give you the right to treat him that way. Well, my wife, I understand. That does not give you the right to go outside of God's limit and treat her that way. See, Jesus held himself, surrendered himself to the limits of his father. And then third, I want you to see is that he chose to limit himself to only 33 years of life. Think about that. He limited himself to 33 years of life. We're all trying to get to 70 and 80 and 90. And Jesus says, I'm only going to do it 33 years. He limited himself to only three and a half years of ministry. The Son of God only gave us three and a half years of ministry. Do you know he only traveled roughly 200 miles outside of his home? This is the Son of God who can heal, who can raise the dead, who can restore the blind, and he never went outside of 200 miles. Why? He limited himself. See, Jesus knew his limits. He limited himself to a certain number of miracles. He limited himself to die on the cross. He limited himself to only be in the grave three days. See, Jesus understood limits. Church, do you understand limits? When we look at this example in, in Jesus' life in this passage, he embraced his limits. 30 years old. Working as a carpenter, living in a rural community, up to this point at 30 years old in Luke 4, no miracles, no reputation. He hasn't written any books, any blogs, any articles, no theological education. Up to this point, Jesus lived 30 years in obscurity with limits on himself. In chapter 3 of Luke, the Father comes and speaks over Jesus his total love and acceptance and worth and value of His own Son. In you, I am well pleased. Up to that point in Luke 3, Jesus had done no miracle. He'd performed nothing, never gave a sermon, never gave a speech outside of 12 years old in the temple. Jesus had done nothing. And the Father says, I love you just like you are. Limited. I love you, Jesus. <clears throat> You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. I love you because you're a son. Nothing to prove, nothing to do to get my love. I love you, son. Can I say to, the, to you this morning, that is the gospel. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is I know that you, God says, I know you try, you've tried to live without my limits. 
And I know you've broken my law. I know you went outside the boundaries I've set and you have chosen to do that. But I just want you to know, I love you despite anything you have ever done. And I'm going to send my son to die for you, to take all that sin away, to forgive my condemnation on you, my judgment on you. And I'm going to give you my son's eternal life. I'm going to give you a relationship with me. All because... I love you. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to work for it, pay for it, beg for it, serve for it. He just does it because he loves you. That's the gospel. And if you're here today and you have never experienced the gospel, Jesus says, come unto me. I love you. I want you. I want to forgive you. That's the gospel. And that's what the father said to the son. I love you. After this baptism and this declaration of the Father, the Spirit comes in and He embraces the limit of the Spirit and the Spirit drives Him into the desert. And while there, after He is there, He begins to have another character. Satan. And Satan comes to tempt Jesus to go beyond his limits. Satan has come to split Jesus from this Father. Amen. And that is the same thing Satan does to us. He comes to split you from the Father. Amen. To live limitlessly. Let me give you these quickly and, and I need to get to my action steps. But turning the stone to bread in verse number 2 and 3 and 4. Here's what Satan is saying. Jesus, it's been 40 days and you're hungry. God does not love you. God does not care about you. You're not even on God's radar, so you need to do something. You need to take care of yourself, Jesus. Jesus, if you don't do this, you're going to die and the, the world's going to die without you. Turn the stone to bread and eat something. Jesus does nothing. Here's the temptation for you and me. If it is going to get done, you have to do it yourself. If it's going to get done, you have to do it yourself. Can I just, I just want to say this to you this morning. Y'all have been praying for me since 2014. Thank you. Two cancers. And I'm going to tell you, this temptation is real. It is real. Because the temptation from the enemy to me was, you've got to heal yourself. You've got to do the chemo. You've got to eat right. You've got to change your diet. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. And, you've got to, and by the way, none of that's wrong. But what happens is, is we get so consumed with us doing something that we forget God can do it all. Without that. All he has to do is speak. And it's gone. And the temptation of the devil is, God does not love you. Look, he's not coming through for you. He's not producing anything for you. You're hungry. You're going without. Just do something and be done with it. Fix it yourself, Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus does nothing. The second temptation, bow down. And I will give you all the kingdoms. He takes Jesus up. 
into a mountain. And in a moment, the Bible says he, he shows him in a moment of time all the kingdoms. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You can skip all of that and still have everybody. I'll give everybody to you, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. Here's the temptation for you and I. The temptation is to skip and bypass any hardship and suffering in your life in order to take the easy way out. The temptation is for us to skip and bypass any hardship or suffering in order to take the easy way out. I have a friend of mine, I mentioned to him last week, Pastor Pete, he says this, he calls them the walls. We come to walls. You know what we do when we come up to a wall? We try to dig under it, we try to climb over it, we try to go around it. Because we don't want to go through it. Because it's hard. It may, it may include suffering. It may include disappointment. The temptation of Jesus was, Jesus, you don't have to do this cross thing. Skip it. I'll give you this for free. Who doesn't like F-R-E-E? Jesus, all you got to do is just bow. Just bow. Hey, Jesus, nobody knows you anyway. Nobody will ever know if you do it right now. Just skip it. That's the temptation. The third temptation was he took him to the top of the temple. Here I put a picture of the, the temple mount. That wall you see there is the, the, the eastern wailing wall. Now, it doesn't look that high, does it? But if you go down into the left, of there's a, there's a corridor to, the, to the, the left over here that actually takes you down to the base, to the bottom of the temple. It probably descends another 10 to 12 stories down of that wall right there. And Jesus took him to the top of the temple on top of that wall and said, Jesus, jump. And by the way, let me just quote some Bible to you, Jesus. Father said he would not let you get hurt. He'd give his angels charge over you to protect you and save you. So Jesus, you know what? Nobody knows who you are. Nobody, nobody even knows your name. You're, you're 30 years old. What have you done, Jesus? But I tell you what, if you'll jump off and everybody sees you jump off and angels come and swoop you up, then everybody will know who you are. What's the temptation? Here's the temptation. Pride. Jesus, build yourself up. Get noticed. Start a Facebook page, Jesus. Get some Twitter followers, Jesus. Put some really... Put, get your name out there and, 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 and be something. Just be somebody, Jesus. You can start it today. Just jump. What does Jesus do? Nothing. You see, the example of Jesus here for our spiritual life is inward and downward. You see, Satan's temptation kept taking Jesus upward and outward. But true spirituality is humility. True spirituality is going down. Jesus went to a mountain, he did nothing, and he came down. Satan took him up to the temple, he did nothing, he came down. See, that is what true spirituality is. 
True spirituality is God going deep down in us to do a work in us so that He can teach us surrender and obedience. 1 Peter chapter 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and He may exalt you in due time. You know what Jesus did? Jesus kept humbling Himself. He did nothing. He did nothing. He did nothing. He humbled Himself. Satan kept trying to take him upward and outward. He said, no, Father wants me to go inward and downward. That's what the desert does. The desert humbles you. The desert reveals to you, you are not limitless. Jesus was taken into the desert to reveal to us that we have limits. And these limits are meant to humble us into complete dependence on Father for everything in this journey called life. That's what the desert is all about. To humble us into complete dependence on the Father for everything in this journey called life. Jesus is our example. Remember last week Hebrews 5? Even though He were a son, yet learned He obedience through the things which He suffered. Now last Sunday I finished with the action steps. This Sunday I'm going to finish with action steps. And then we're going to get out of here. My third point in my action step is this. We must celebrate the gift of limits. We must celebrate the gift of limits. You know, we've lost the practice of celebrating. Uh, if you go to my Facebook page, I don't tell everybody to do this, but if you go to my Facebook page, I was pretty excited yesterday. Uh, my wife and I were at a 40th anniversary for a couple, and uh, the guy came up to me and says, what do you think about this? And he handed me a 2017 Philadelphia Eagle Super Bowl ring. I put that bad boy on. My wife took pictures. I put it on Facebook. You know, why he, you know why that guy wore that ring? He works for the Eagles. You know why he wore that ring? Because he wants to celebrate something important. Something that was worth celebrating. A Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles. Once in a lifetime. <laughs> I, heads went like this. Everybody, all the guys were halfway snoozing. And when they heard that, they went, What? Celebrate. To celebrate means to make known publicly. To praise widely or to present with public notice. Celebrate means to go what? It means to go public. To go public. I want everybody to know this. I am not ashamed of being a Philadelphia... I'm not a Philadelphia fan, but I'm not ashamed... To be an Eagle fan, and I'm going to wear this ring to celebrate a Super Bowl, and I want everybody to see it, so I'm going to show my bling off. It's going public. And when I use that terminology that we must celebrate the gift of our limits, we must celebrate, we must go public with our limits. See, we live in a, in a culture, we live in a Christianity today 
that we hide our limits. We don't want anyone to see, uh, see them or know them because it appears as weakness. It appears as incompetency. It appears as inability. It appears as unsuccessful. Limits appear like we can't cut it, so we hide them. We put them in a, in a bag and we put them in the closet so no one sees them. And yet, when you read through the Bible, all of the men of the Bible had limits, and they celebrated them. They let everybody know them. Jesus, in this passage, was celebrating his limits to Satan by doing nothing. Now watch this. He did nothing but this, and I really believe this with all my heart, that every time Jesus gave a response, I believe that Father through the Spirit, was saying to Jesus these words. Son, you don't live by bread alone. You live by everything I tell you. Ooh, man. Son, no one can tempt me. Tell them that. You can't tempt the Lord thy God. Son, You know what you and I need to hear? Son, daughter, I love you. You don't need to do that. I think Jesus' responses were in direct response of the Father speaking into Jesus' life at every temptation. Jesus did nothing but only responded with what Father said to him. Do you know what we have today of what the Father says? It's right here. God doesn't love you. Yes, He does. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For this is the love of God. We celebrate these limits. Jesus is celebrating these limits. How do I do that? How do I celebrate the gifts of God's called limits? Here they are real quick and I'm done. Number one, admit you have limits. You've got to admit you have limits. Just say it. I have limits. Say it with me. You have to admit. If you're going to celebrate your limits, you've got to first admit you have them. Don't deny them, but admit you have them. The greatest limit that man has is that he can't save himself. And you and I need Jesus the Savior to save us. You've got to admit that. That's what we say when we, when we take someone to the gospel. We say you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit you have limits. Number two, if you're going to celebrate, not only do you have to admit you have limits, but number two, you must grieve your limits. You've got to grieve them. What does it mean? What do I mean by that? It means you must confess that you can't do something. If you're a good, red-blooded American, that goes against your grain. Because Americans, don't, don't say the word can't to Americans. We can do anything. We won two war wars. We can do anything. We conquered the Indians. We conquered the West. But grieving my limits is confessing that I can't. And watch this. And repenting of living independent from the Father. 
For me to grieve my limits is to say, God, I can't. Without you, I can do nothing. So God, I repent of going outside of my limits and I repent of living independent from you. Jesus needed you, I need you. And number three, admit you have limits, grieve your limits, and then thirdly, embrace your limits. Just embrace them. It's okay. See, embracing your limits is recognizing that you are not God. Newsflash. Better yet, Fox News Alert. I'm not God. And neither are you. You're limit. You're limited. And embracing my limits is saying, I am not God and I need to run to Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy, uh, that are, uh, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and I will, you will find rest for your souls. Embrace, I'm not God, I can't, but you can, and I'm running to Jesus. I'm running to Jesus. Tonight we're going to look at the biblical example of Paul and how Paul embraced his gift of limits. But for now, God is driving us into a designed deserts meant to reveal his gift of limits and our desperate need to embrace them willingly. Are you ready? Are you ready to embrace them? Are you ready for God to take you to the desert to even see them and embrace them?